Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hello and welcome to the very final episode of year one of the Pocket Coven podcast. Yeah, it's amazing that we made it to a year. I still feel very fresh and very new and like there's so much to talk about and so much to learn about podcasting, etc. And also our guest today represents a culmination of many years of processing and feeling and learning magic and then coming to podcasting. So, Callie, would you please introduce our guest today? It would be my pleasure. We started this podcast with the goal of connecting with amazing witches all over, whether they are listeners or guests on our show, uh, because so much of paganism and witchcraft in general is about connection. And when we started the podcast, we had a goal in mind for year one. The goal was we want to talk to a lot of people, but we really want to talk to this particular person. And you may know her from her incredible book, Initiated, Memoir of a Witch. You may know her as the Oracle of L.A., You might know her for her beautiful podcast, Between the Worlds, or you might know her as Amanda Yates Garcia. Welcome, Amanda. We're so happy to have you here. I am so happy to be here. I'm very honored that you asked me. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for uh, joining our our baby podcast. You're a big deal witch, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's so wild that like witches for so long had to hide for safety. And I mean, still plenty do, but that you can, as we all three of us know, you can have a career being a witch now. Yeah, it is wild and amazing and definitely something that I didn't really think would be possible for me as a child. Otherwise, I definitely would have said to myself, I'm going to be a witch when I grow up. I mean, it's definitely the ideal profession for sure. But yeah, I didn't know that you could do that. I'm just kind of had to chop my way into the weeds and the woods of it to find a way. And now it does seem that it's something um, more and more people are doing and have available to them, which is wonderful. Yeah. And necessary, I would say. <laughs> the world needs more witches. Absolutely. Um, I I joined one of your moon circles last year around the protests. Mm-hmm. And it was the one where you had everyone kind of bless a rock to go plant in the earth. And I've shared that ritual, like just telling people about it so many times because it was such a beautiful way to interact with the energy around the healing that needs to take place in the world. I think that one of the reasons we're seeing witchcraft on the rise so much is that there's a need for it. But I know, Amber, you have your favorite question to ask all our guests. Well, it feels like kind of a funny question to ask you because we know that you're a witch. I mean, you wrote the memoir of a witch, but one of my favorite questions to ask guests is if they identify as a witch and what that practice looks like that, uh, for them personally because I want witchcraft to be accessible. You know, often when I'm working with clients, they're so curious, like they hire me because I'm a witchy therapist, but they don't know what that would look like for them. So the more models that I can give other people for what it looks like to be a witch, the more accessible it is for 
them. So in whatever way feels comfortable for you, how would you describe your practice as a witch? Yeah, so... You know, I I was brought up as a witch, so I have a really long legacy and history of, of witchcraft in my own life. But nevertheless, my understanding of what it is to be a witch is in constant flux and change. And I'm always exploring different ways of, and means of, of what that is. And currently, what I really feel is that a witch is a midwife and a death doula. Witches are here now to midwife in a new world that is currently being born. But as we know, birth is a dangerous time. It's dangerous for the mother. It's dangerous for the child. And of course, the mother here that we're talking about is Earth. Earth is birthing a new species, essentially, and that species is whatever we're evolving into or we need to evolve into a new species if we are going to continue and potentially if, if life on earth is going to continue. And witches have always historically been midwives. You know, when they were persecuted during the Inquisitions, midwives were persecuted as witches for knowing the, the secrets of, of birthing. You know, authorities of patriarchy wanted to be able to control as a means of controlling uh, access to labor the labor force. And then even like in the classical world, which is, you know, like Diana, for instance, the, the goddess of the moon and the goddess of the wilds and Circe and Hecate, you know, these were goddesses who were, um, were also known as midwives and who were often appealed to help them in childbirth. I, I see this process as something that I'm continuing or something that witches in general are continuing. And then I also see us as death doulas in the sense that, you know, we're not just being born. Some, there, there is a radical period of, of death that's coming um, and has been coming for a really long time, for at least since the beginning of the United States, chattel slavery, the genocides that were forced upon the people here in the Americas. I would say that the, the beginning of this death process was really with, with, with slavery as we know it here in the Americas. And so I feel like witches are, are here to help us, help our communities stay grounded and empowered throughout this process and I know that many people might have a different idea of what witchcraft is or what witchcraft would be used for, but I see that right now we are undergoing a truly existential crisis on this planet, and witches have tools to help us stay grounded, to stay in our power, to be able to stay clear. And um, so I see the tools of witchcraft, such as ritual, ceremony, incantation, prayer, meditation, alignment with the natural world and its processes as the tools that we need in order to help us stay in this place of power and uh, encourage the transformations. So I also see witches as defenders of the wild, the priests, priestesses, priestesses of the wild. I feel like witchcraft is the religion, it's the spirituality of nature itself, and it percolates up in different forms and different cultures. But in, in this culture, in our culture, 
witchcraft is one of the ways that, you know, one of the gases coming up like a will of the wisp from the earth in order to infuse like a sacred spirituality into our culture. And so I see myself as a steward of that and a practitioner of that and someone who's carrying a legacy of that. And I'm always interested in developing new ways and means and understandings of how I do that. But yeah, that's where I'm at with it right now. What a beautiful, holistic answer. I feel like, you know, when I'm asked like, what's your witch practice? I start thinking of like, oh, I I love my altar and like helping people. I love that you clearly have had that lived experience of researching this and living it for so long that you really do touch the lineage. Like, you know, our topic today, transmissions, it feels like you have been a student of receiving transmissions for so long. And now you're this kind of wizened transition sharer. I mean, especially as a front facing witch, like you're very public facing as we are, but you have a huge amount of eyes on you. You know, you've been on like Republican TV as a witch. (laughs) 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 I know everyone's making a face like, (laughs) I, I want to add the preface before I ask this question, um, just for the audience that as we talk about transmissions, we are not talking about the specific Buddhist practice of esoteric transmissions, which is a pretty well-known term in our world, um, just because that's a closed practice and those secrets are guarded. We're talking about transmissions in a slightly more general sense. But one of the reasons that you came to mind as the perfect guest for this particular topic is one of the ways that your work and your transmissions have affected me, and that's through your book, Initiated, you talk about how when you hear about a concept, um, I think you were talking in the book specifically about goddesses, you feel like that's a message, like a like kind of a hint at what to do next. And I had had that deep imposter syndrome for the longest time about like Amber got really into Hecate before I did. And I was like, oh, I really resonate with that. I am 32 years old. And this baby part of me was like, I can't do it because Amber's doing it. And that's her thing. (laughs) Granted, thousands, if not millions of people have worshiped this deity over the years. But I was like, I can't do it. And then I was listening to your audiobook and you said that. And I was like, I'm part of the current. I'm part of the esoteric current. Like, Come, it coming to me doesn't negate its value. How does, you know, your lived experience as a lifelong witch and now a public facing witch affect you? And, and I guess how you see it affect the people around you. Well, so much richness there in that beautiful comment and question. I want to start off by, by talking a little bit about what you said about feeling like if your friend is working with Hikate that you maybe can't or this idea of originality and um, the kind of cult of, of newness that we have in our culture. I think that we have a really wrong-headed concept of um, what's kind of allowed in terms of 
working with deities or putting forth our uh, ideas in relationship to witchcraft in particular, if we are public facing witches, because essentially of the history of art, art history and how it shifted from being sacred practice to being something that is, is exists for public consumption or capitalist consumption, you know, art has really become something that, you know, people buy as a commodity and hold as a repository of value, like rich people, you know, go to Yale and find like the next hot artist and buy their work for $50,000 and keep it in their, you know, temperature controlled art warehouse. And it's just like another essentially investment now. But the, the idea of what is happening with that has really bled into the culture. And I think another challenge is that often witches who are public facing are making their living through witchcraft. And so when we make our living through witchcraft, we do have this sort of proprietary sense like, oh, well, that's my thing. I do this thing. I work with Hikata. And so no one else should be doing that. Or I feel guilty because someone else is working with Hikata and I can't because I worry that I'll be like stepping on their toes or something. And then there's also a really important conversation right now happening around cultural appropriation and things like that. I see instead that we're working in a tradition and a lineage and that we're creating an emergent community of, of worshipers and celebrants and devotees of the goddess. And I certainly don't feel like, well, if, if I work with the moon, then someone else can't work with the moon. Or, you know, if I work with Hikate, then no one else can. In fact, I think that, you know, having more voices contributing to this love, to this loving relationship, to this honoring is important and essential and a really good and enriching thing. And um, on the other hand, I do think it's important to be aware of like what other people are doing and not, not make it more difficult for them, not appropriate, not say that their work is your own. But like, for instance, Carolyn and I, my, the producer of my podcast, P Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs, she's also an artist, and we often work on the same themes. Like, we love to work with Persephone. We love to work with, you know, Orpheus, Eurydice. We love to talk about Hecate. We talk, right, right now, we're really obsessed with Taliesin. We've got an episode coming up uh, about the witch Circe. And one of the things that we really love to think about it as individuals is like, we do it differently, right? Like our approach is different. We see different things. We see different facets in uh, these goddesses. And we love the idea of like collaborating with each other to create, like, why can't there be a thousand odes to Hecate, for instance, and we all do it differently, you know, a thousand songs to her. I, I feel really excited about that. So yeah, I, I feel like um, this cult of newness where we always have to do the next thing. You know, we always have to tell a new story. We always have to do something that is only our own. It's very much informed by, you know, capitalist individualism. And we really can't persist <laughs> with that anymore. So I'm ready to abandon that paradigm. I agree. I think that toxic individualism and toxic I know is a very complex word we've abused it a lot in our society but there is a toxic individualism because we have grown up in a generation that's very much about like well I have to do it myself I have to do everything for myself and any sense of interdependence oh is definitely codependence which it's not interdependence is necessary for healthy relationships and 
it's different. You know, when you're defining yourself by another person, that's codependence. But when you are sharing space and energy and love and care with a community, with a person, with your life, that's interdependence. And, you know, it being on the concept, like our talk being on the concept of transmissions, which came up because we were talking about the esoteric current. It's so funny that you bring up that you and your collaborator, you and Carolyn, often are on the same topic and you talk about doing it differently because just yesterday, Amber and I were talking on the phone and I was talking about this block that I've been having with the podcast, which is, the block is not that I don't want to make it. The block is, you know, how we're evolving it because art is always evolving and this is art and this is magic and magic evolves too. And I was saying, wow, I didn't realize until we were talking about this that I've been viewing our work as like, I have to do it the way you do it or it's not good, which is why I haven't done this like specific aspect of it yet. And I'm just realizing that that's so stupid. (laughs) We have to do things differently. That's how we're enriched by each other. That is interdependence. And you said something earlier that I would love to reflect and then see what you think about it. You called yourself a steward. And in psychotherapy, there's an idea of trauma stewardship. There's a book about trauma stewardship, which we're all required to read if we have any uh, uh, solid education, because stewarding people through their lives is incredibly fucking hard. And we are tired. And we are soaked with their love and their success and their sense of failure and their pain and all of those things. And I have watched you set boundaries with social media, with your audience. Like, I see you do it. And when I struggle to set boundaries around my stewardship, I remember you. And I'm like, if Amanda hates Garcia, I can fucking do it. I can fucking do it. <laughs> my, clients, my clients can live a week without me, right, so that I can keep going. So, I mean, you must resonate with what I'm saying. Like, how tired are you from being a current, from being a trans? That's a great, yeah, that's a great question. It's just a great topic. I mean, I was not born with great boundaries. I I mean, I guess when we're born, you know, we don't have any boundaries. (laughs) And I certainly didn't learn good ones, you know, when I was, when I was growing up and, it's been something that I've really, really, really had to work at in order to be able to figure out. And yeah, it's something that I'm still practicing. But I can say that, first of all, if you don't have good boundaries in the kind of work that we do, you will burn out. You will burn out hard. And I have gone through various periods of just extreme and extraordinary burnout. Uh, second of all, and, and of course, if you're, if you're burnt out, you can't be of service, right? You can't help anyone. Second of all, I just want to honor and acknowledge what you said about your financial resources or your, your, the resources that sustain you, if they're not there, that it makes it much harder to participate in spirituality, maybe on a, on a level where you're transmitting it to anyone, right? I, I think that when we're, you know, really struggling for resources, 
we probably do have a spirituality, but it's, it's one that's kind of like, help me, please help me, please. Like I, I need to like, just some force out there, please help me stabilize here. And, uh, we're not really thinking about how we can transmit that or how we can, you know, hold space for other people to be able to experience their own spirituality. And of course, as my practice has become more established, I become like I, I can do this higher order thinking about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it because I have the the privilege in some cases earned, but in many cases unearned privilege of being able to have access to that kind of resource. But I have really discovered too that boundaries help people feel safe and it is a way of holding space. So when when our boundaries are porous with our clients or with our with our quote unquote followers, it, it can be very destabilizing for everyone. And so then as we as we become more adept, then um, it's our responsibility to set those kinds of boundaries. However, when you're first starting out and you're and you're trying to get your business together, it can feel really terrifying to set a boundary with a client or with your followers because you're like, what if they just all leave? You know, what if they don't like it that I set this boundary and they leave and then I'm back, you know, I slide back down the the ladder. And so this goes back to this idea of midwifery and death dualship. As witches, you know, I think a lot of the time in, in public discourse around witchcraft, this idea there's this idea that it's kind of a, a money mindset sort of thing where we're here to sort of get what we want out of the world, right? And witches are here to use their tools to have the magnificent life that they're looking for. And to a degree, there is a, you know, that is a reality. We are wanting, you know, witches love pleasure. They love abundance. You know, they love... Um, they love eroticism, you know, I'm right. My, my rising sign is Taurus. I love luxury, all of that, but that is not primarily what witches are here to do. They're witches. I feel like if you're a public witch, if you're a priestess, essentially, then you are here to help people remember their power and their authority. And, um, sometimes that's going to mean reminding people that they don't need you as much as they might think that they do. And so that's a really important thing to be able to hold a boundary and say, like, well, what do you think? Like, I'm not available 24-7 for you to come to. So, like, what are your resources? And reminding them that they, you know, that they are in charge of their own life to create those resources and to sustain those resources for themselves. But then also on another level, it's just... Um, it's dangerous for people to think that they can access you all the time because they can't. And if you can't be there, then what are they going to do? You know? So yeah, I feel like um, it's, it's responsible of you to, to tell people that they, you know, to be realistic with people about what you're, what you're able to give and what you aren't. And um, something that I'm really working on right now is just letting other people have their own experience of my boundaries, which means going back to the codependency issue, like not trying to manage other people's opinions of me all the time. And to be, I, I feel like a big part of being a witch is to be able to hold the idea that sometimes people aren't going to like you. They're going to think you're a bitch. They're going to think you're wrong. They're going to think you're a bad person. They're going to project all sorts of shit onto you. And 
making that so it's like not your business is really, really hard and just 100% essential if you want to be able to really stay in your power. It's just like step one. So what other people think of me is none of my business. Your feelings about me are a fact about you. (laughs) (laughs) Right? When I learned that in therapy school, I was like, wait a minute. So other people's perception of me just isn't information about me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Total mind blowing. (laughs) Right? And then trying to listen. Right? Like trying to live that is different, right? All my scared parts mm-hmm. don't want me to have that autonomy. And I really appreciated that you said that, right? The fear, when you said the fear that I'm going to fall down that ladder, I felt that in my gut because I started a business a year ago in private practice. And it's so complicated to be helping people who are also paying you. Yes. I don't want that to influence my clinical judgment. I don't right. want my, my fear of poverty, my history of poverty to tell me that I have to keep going when I absolutely shouldn't because my wellness is how I make my money. I have to be well so I can be that current for other people. Mm. Yeah, which means that you have to be willing to lose it all to stay in your integrity and to even know how to do that. And that it, what I'm talking about is something that's really not easy. And it's definitely something that as you get older and with more and more experience, you, you learn more about how to do it. But like right now I'm taking a break from social media. And one of the reasons that I'm doing that is because I don't want, I don't want to say things just because I know people want to hear them. I don't want to say things just because I know it's popular to say it or I'll get a good response. And that's also true even with my clients. And that is especially hard when you have clients because they're looking at you with these wide open eyes and this longing to tell them what they want to hear because everybody wants to hear what they want to hear, right? Like I want to hear, you want to hear, we all want to hear what we want to hear. And sometimes that is not what you necessarily believe or think is right or true And, you know, even it can be something like they want to hear an answer. They want to hear that you have an answer to their problem. And often their problem is coming from the fact that they don't trust their own answer. They don't trust their own perspective. And it's, it can be just really hard when somebody really wants something from you and you feel like you have a really clear idea about what, what is true and what isn't to, to, you know, not get pulled off balance by them. And things like Instagram and social media are constantly trying to pull you off balance, to hypnotize you, to disassociate you, to pull you into this, you know, advertising space, this confusing space. And what I've realized for myself recently is, you know, it, it, it can get really scary too as you become more and more successful that, um, or quote unquote successful is like, you know, as, as, you know, we maybe as a culture characterize what success is, the way down looks really far, you know, to go back to square one. But I feel like I need to be willing to lose everything and be like, if I have to just live in a tent on the side of the road, then I will. Because if that's what, you know, witchcraft is calling for for me, then I will do that because that is what I'm here for, to say what I believe is true and to show up with, you know, my full self in full integrity, in full authenticity, because that is what is being called forth from all of us, 
you know, because we're, because the world is in such vulnerable place, it needs all of us to show up with our true, authentic voice. Because that's what a, a thriving ecosystem is. When every being within that ecosystem is thriving and contributing to the whole. And we can't do that by this codependent um, scramble to try and figure out what everybody else wants from us. And for me, one of the biggest things that I've learned is to trust my own goodness and to trust my own moral sense. And as long as I, as long as whatever I'm doing, I believe it is moral. Like I believe that I'm doing right. And I, I take the time to really sit with my actions, my voice and see like, do you really believe this? Is this really right? Are you acting out of anger? Are you acting out of fear? Are you doing this because there's some shadow stuff that you're not looking at? Or are you doing this because you really honestly believe that this is true? And at this point now I can say, yes, I, when I like, I trust myself, I trust myself to make the right decisions. And that if I don't make the right decision, I trust myself to repair it. And therefore what other people think of me, it, it doesn't matter because I like, I know that I am doing what I believe is the right thing. And so if someone has some kind of opinion about me, I'm more than willing to talk about it or, uh, you know, like I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, I, I want everybody to be healthy. I want everybody to feel safe. I want everyone to be, feel strong. But I also recognize that a lot of time people project their shit onto you a lot. It's a waste of my time to enter into this shadow space with them. It's like a hall of mirrors. Nothing is real there. Like I need to stay in my grounding in my reality and, and as long as I know that I am truly operating from the heart, I can, like, I can trust myself and I can trust my own goodness. And that's what's really important. We, we really go off balance and get disoriented and distracted when we don't trust our goodness. Like when, when someone else is like, you know, mad at us or projecting something onto us and we're like, did I really do some really horrible thing? Am I really this bad person? And you're like scrambling, trying to figure out what it was that you could have done. And sometimes you just, there is like, there isn't an answer because it's not about you. And it's not based in that relationship. You know, it's based in some other thing that is inside them. And that like, that you're not going to be able to find because you're not digging around in their mind. And until you can both come as equals, really trusting yourselves, trusting your own heart, having the skill, which we do not learn in this culture, to be able to um, relate. We're not relational. This is not a relational culture. We, we don't even know what that means, but we can develop that skill. And then as we do, we're able to show up so much more in our true self and our true power. And I want to be clear here that I'm not saying... I'm never wrong. I mean, I was brought up in a white supremacist, misogynist, colonialist, ableist, heteronormative culture. You know, I have, I have blind spots. I get things wrong all the time. I'm not saying I trust myself to never make a mistake. I'm saying I trust myself to want to do right by everyone. And I trust myself to try and repair the web when I cause harm. But what I'm talking about more now here is about the things that people project onto you when you're a public person, which is a lot, 
or even things that people project on each other in intimate relationships. What I'm really talking about is a call for each of us to own our own shit and also to trust our own inherent value and worthiness because often it's shame and confusion about our own value that cause us to act out and cause harm on other people. And, you know, of course, real healing happens within community, not just within the individual healing, true healing can only happen within community. But in order to be able to be in healthy community with one another, it really helps if we're able to stay centered and grounded when we are relating. And um, yeah, so that so that's what I'm thinking about <laughs> in relation to that. I love the passion in your voice when you're speaking about these things. Because as you're, as you're talking, I'm like, this is some lived experience shit. And also, I mean, the question I was going to ask you already answered, I was like, okay, so we have a lot of baby witches that are in our audience for this podcast. How do they start it? And I think what you said, trust your own goodness is so important. And I know that you are not saying all you have to do is have good intentions. No, no, <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying with the trust your own goodness, like you, like you have to earn trust is something you earn. It's something you earn with yourself and it's something that you earn with other beings. And so you have to earn that trust with yourself to trust your own goodness. And that means that, um, when you get activated, And when you get, when you're feeling mad, when you're feeling hurt, when you're feeling jealous, when you're feeling like acting out, when you're feeling defensive, um, then we develop the skills. Like those feelings may all be completely legitimate and they're probably not the ones that you want to use to like take action. Those are the feelings that you want to kind of sit back, sit with them let yourself work through them, process through them, and then decide, okay, what do I want? What is my intention? What is my intention for myself? And what is my intention for the community? Like, what is my intention for the world that I want to live in? And uh, is this action that I'm considering taking going to get that result? And like, there's nothing wrong with feeling strong feelings, but from my perspective, truly what I mean as a witch is that we can't just be running around acting out of fury, out of anger, out of destabilized kind of chaotic energy if we want to create the beautiful world that I think we all hope for and long for and envision. Like we have to be elders. We are growing into elders for a community and that means that we have to consider what is best for our community as well. And what is best for our community is not going to be a bunch of like mud wrestling or, um, you know, chaotically lashing out at one another. And it's also not going to be an unwillingness to introspect and look and see, like, am I reacting defensively? Because maybe I do believe that I did something wrong here. Or am I reacting defensively because I feel like I'm going to be abandoned or like isolated? All of those are totally worthwhile investigations. And there are also things that witchcraft has an answer for. You know, when we're using tarot, for instance, like a lot of people, when they first start working with the tarot, are going to ask questions like, 
will this person call me back? You know, how can I get this new job? And those are all really valid and beautiful questions. And I believe that as you become more adept, as you develop your relationship with spirit, as you develop your relationship with the tarot, the questions become kind of more meta, which is, you know, how, how do I increase my wisdom? What am I not seeing here? Uh, what power am I being called to cultivate and develop in this scenario rather than just like, how can I get what I want? Because a lot of the time, the first thing that we want, the most obvious thing is the thing that's been given to us by our culture, by capitalism, by patriarchy. It's like an unquestioned belief, like, oh, well, what I want is you know, more money and financial stability. And it makes sense that we want that. We all need that kind of financial stability in order to survive in this world. But beyond that, there's a question of like, how can I be the steward in the world that the goddess is calling for for me right now? Like what qualities within myself do I need to cultivate? And that strength within yourself, for me, that is witchcraft. You know, to be able to stay solid and not like flip out (laughs) like that's not easy and it's not always something that I was able to do you know like that is something that that like we grow into and something to really look forward to as you become an elder is that you can you know ride that rolling log (laughs) and stay on top of it and stay balanced without losing it and a lot of what I hear you say is not passing your trauma on to other people yes that's it right like because that's what trauma does. And I, and I try to really hammer this into clients as much as I can therapeutically and lovingly, of course, (laughs) is that they don't get to be a master over trauma. They don't get to say, I'm not going to pass my trauma. You do. Trauma Mm -hmm. passes. It is almost an otherworldly entity. The best you can do is be aware of it. It's the devil, you know, so be aware of it. You don't get to extract it or excavate it from who you are. You get to integrate it into who you are. And so in your assessment, I hear the need for self-work, for introspection, for self-awareness, for therapy, right? And that's, I mean, really why we brought this podcast together is because the intersections Like, I don't have to ask you how mental health intersects with witchcraft because that's what you've been talking about for 40 minutes. (laughs) Exactly. Well, what you say really reminds me of the work of um, Resma Manikam, who wrote the book, Uh, My Grandmother's Hands, is, you know, the book is essentially, it's about many things, but it's about trauma and specifically the trauma of white supremacy and how that trauma is blown through bodies. And specifically, um, one of the things that he addresses that I think is really important for, for those of us in white or white passing bodies is, you know, that white people historically have blown their trauma through, you know, white people were extremely traumatized. And I think that we have to really acknowledge the level of sustained trauma that Europeans went through over thousands of years of war and, you know, slavery within their own culture and colonization, that then they just blew out on the rest of the world and like exponentially, right? So like whatever was happening within them, they just amplified and blew out. And that's horrifying. And and we all have our own traumas. We have our traumas from our family. We have our personal traumas. We have our our political traumas. And yeah, I feel like exactly that is one of the major projects of witchcraft is don't blow your, blow your trauma through other people. Use the tools of witchcraft to, as Menachem would argue, to metabolize that trauma within you 
and let whatever flows from you be a, a force for vitality and love and um, truth in the world. And that, that is like, that'll keep you busy for a couple lifetimes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like learning how to do that is, is a major, major project and major work. Yeah. I'm hearing big magician energy here. Totally. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That like magician is the transmuter, right? Like taking from the realm of spirit, moving it into the world and being that conduit, being like using those tools uh, to be able to channel that. And then you get to the high priestess who is occupying a space of like teacher or, um, a steward, right? She's like a shamanic presence. And by shaman, I mean someone who travels between the worlds and retrieves medicine from different places and brings that medicine back for his, her, their community. You know, we're always kind of vacillating between these places, right? Like I'm certainly, I am, I do occupy a position of teacher in my community, but I am also constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly a student, it's our work to remember that we are all constantly students and, and that we are all also teachers. What, uh, what a perfect note to really kind of end cap. As I know, you've got, you've got busy stuff. You're working <laughs> witch. And I want to respect your time. Amber and I are both very aware of that. And before we say goodbye to you, is there anything any last notes, anything that you want to share with our audience about maybe what you have coming up or where they can catch you? Any last words of wisdom from you, beautiful high priestess? Um, yeah, well, so people can find me on my podcast, Between the Worlds. It's available anywhere podcasts are available. Um, please do read my book, Initiated, Memoir of a Witch. Uh, if any of these things interest you, I feel like they are all things that I talk about pretty deeply in my book. And I'm off Instagram until the end of September, but go ahead and go on there and follow me anyway, whenever you're, when, or I'm off Instagram until the end of August, but I'll be back in September. So go ahead and follow me there. Uh, also follow me on my newsletter. That's what I'm going to try and amplify a little bit more and come to some ceremonies. I got, I'm lining those up um, for the rest of the year. So if you follow me, you'll find out about those things. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to sign up for that newsletter today. Yes. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Oh, it's, an, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you and to learn about your practices. And I'm such a admirer of this work that you're doing and the, the generosity of spirit and kindness on which you're approaching your work. I think it's really important. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thanks for inspiring us with your work and being a transmitter, being a conduit, being yourself. Thank you for doing your work because that helps us do our work. Mm -hmm. That's like the motto, right? For all of us, mm -hmm. the mantra for, for witches. If we do our own work, it helps everyone. Absolutely. Thank you.